0: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM, and FM, and WDEVRadio.com. I want to transition back from the Patriots now back into Major League Baseball. And we're going to get to the Red Sox here momentarily, but I want to welcome in ESPN MLB Insider Buster Olney with us every Thursday at this time. Buster, how are you?
1: I'm doing okay. Yeah, there's. A lot to talk about with the Red Sox, as always. Yeah, there's a go through this time period.
0: Lots to talk about with the Red Sox. And I, I wanted to start with them, but I actually want to go to a piece that you wrote yesterday that came out on ESPN Plus, which I read every word of it was about Aaron Judge and kind of what went into his negotiations from going back to spring training until he actually closed the deal at the winter meetings. And I, I got the sense from your piece that there was a real fear that Judge would leave and that... It was actually very possible that he was going to leave. Tell me a little bit about the piece and what you learned.
1: Yeah, and look, um, you know, Aaron Judge hasn't come out and said exactly what was going through his mind during the negotiation and what was going through his mind in those last 24 hours. But uh, what clearly I got back from, you know, from Yankee people was that they were really concerned that Judge was leaving. And then you had that uh, inaccurate tweet by John Heyman. Uh, in the last day of negotiations, in which he, you know, said "arson judge," <laughs> you know, headed to the Giants, it appears, or something along those lines. And even though that was, uh, you know, immediately deleted by John, and he acknowledged the mistake, it did feed into this feeling among Yankees people, like, "Oh Jesus, like he might go elsewhere." And in fact, you know, there were alternatives for him. You know, the Giants offered a lot of money, the team he grew up for. Uh, grew up rooting for. And then the San Diego Padres blew the Yankees out of the water in terms of what they were offering, about $400 million, $80 million more than what they where the Yankees stood. And so, you know, the Yankees had this sense of dread uh, that Tuesday evening at the winter meetings. And Aaron Boone, their manager, was at a, a dinner with colleagues, And he said, you know, should I call Judge? And they encouraged him, yeah, just give it a shot. You've got nothing to lose. And he spoke with Judge, and what he sensed right away was Judge was kind of down. Now, if I'm interpreting that as someone who's known him for a time, I think that he was barreling toward a choice that he wasn't necessarily wild about, uh, you know, signing with the Padres for more money. And then, you know, Aaron uh, Aaron Boone encouraged him, look, call Hal Steinbrenner, who was in Italy, and, and speak to him directly, and, and Hal got a commitment from, uh, got a commitment From Judge asking the question, "Where do you want to play?" and Judge told him, "Yeah, I want to play with the Yankees." And then at that point, Hal Steinbrenner increased his offer by one year, forty million, to get to the nine for three sixty. Kind of thread the needle on the negotiations, but it was tense down the stretch. Mm. Like it was, it was from the Yankees' perspective, them thinking like, "Jesus, we're gonna we're gonna lose this guy, and whatever you know we do on the field after he leaves is not gonna be nearly as good as." just keeping the signature star.
0: You know, it was a great piece. I encourage you to read it. And uh, uh, I wanted to ask you this last week, Buster, but we got so caught up in the Bogart stuff, I didn't get a chance to. There was the report that came out two weeks ago or so about kind of the state of the actual baseball, the physical baseball. And it said that there were juiced balls being used at Yankee Stadium more often than anywhere else. Am I supposed to look at that and say, oh, baseball wanted Judge to break the record, so they gave the Yankees the overinflated baseballs? Is that how I'm supposed to read that story?
1: Well, Brady, it, Ray, it raises questions, right? Um, it, it raises uh, the, you know, something that uh, you know, Rob Manfred, the next time he's in front of reporters, I'm sure he's going to be asked that question you know, what are we to make of it? I think my question, and, and this is an open-ended question, it's not a rhetorical question, is what, you know, is the sample size that's satisfactory enough to reach that conclusion? Um, and, you know, and the, the people who did that story, Meredith Wills was involved, a uh, physicist, if I remember her uh, history correctly, you know, and she has written about how the baseball changes it seemingly from year to year, from sometimes from, you know, month to month. That's that, that has to stop. Like, Major League Baseball has to stop, you know, this whole conversation about, you know, the, the central part of the sport being altered. You know, I think I've said this to you before. Can you imagine if in every NBA game we had a question about what's the composition of the basketball? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it weigh? Does it have too much air? I mean, we saw what happened in the NFL yeah. when they left it too much to the individual teams to, you know, to determine – you know, the composition of the football, I, I, baseball needs to get a consistent uh, surface on the baseball. They need to get a consistent, uh, you know, product so they can end these questions. And I can't stand it. it, it you know, I don't, I don't know whether or not they're putting juice balls in, but man, it, it does raise a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of questions of competitive integrity.
0: Buster only of ESPN with us here on the Brady Farkas Show every Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and Buster, I am never, ever going to forget the story you told me probably five years ago when we first started talking when I got to Vermont. It was about CC Sabathia in 2009 or 2008 offseason into 2009 season. He wanted to sign with the Los Angeles Angels, and basically the players' union said to him, uh-uh, you're going to take the Yankees offer because it it's so much better, and that's better for us. I'm wondering is the same thing at play for Xander Bogarts because I got the sense at his press conference that he didn't look all that thrilled to be in San Diego. Was it almost a situation where he just had to take that offer?
1: Well, and I don't, you know, I know the agents get pressure from the union at times to you know take these benchmark numbers. Uh, My sense in watching that was. This is not what Xander Bogart wanted in his life from 30,000 feet. You know, what he really wanted at heart was to stay with the Red Sox. He loved playing for the Red Sox. He demonstrated that. And so he winds up in a situation where, you know, he took a contract that was more than three times what the Red Sox offered him in spring training. And we, you and I have talked, you know, all spring, all summer about how we got to this point. Um, I think he's kind of sad because uh, I do think, and it's not to say anybody should feel sorry for him. My God, he got $480 million. I think he's going to have a blast playing for Bob Melvin. I've told you, I think that he and Manny Machado will have a lot of fun together. You know, that'll all be uh, you know fun and productive for him. But it, it wasn't his first choice. His first choice was to work out a deal with the Red Sox. That was my read on it.
0: You know, you mentioned John Heyman earlier in regards to the Aaron Judge tweet. Well, John Heyman had a, had a tweet out yesterday that said the Red Sox are one of the suitors for Dansby Swanson. Do you find that to be realistic, or is that just somebody in his ear trying to drive up the price on somebody else?
1: An agent uh, who is not Scott Boris, okay? Um, you know, and, and uh, there's always been conversation that John is very tight with Scott Boris. An agent who is not Scott Boris predicted to me two weeks ago that he thinks Dansby's going to wind up with the Red Sox, mm. um, and it might be that you know the price range falls into a place that it looks appealing to the Red Sox. You know, the feeling among some of the agents I spoke with yesterday is that he's going to wind up with a deal, or let's say this, he's going to wind up with offers that are in the same range as what we saw with Trevor Story and Javier Baez last spring, which is about 140 million dollars. So if the price tag is there. You know, that might be something that the Red Sox would look at and be interesting uh, and be interested by that. I would say this. You know, if Dansby went to Vanderbilt. I went to Vanderbilt. I've gotten to know him through the years. If I had to guess, and that's all it is, uh, I think Dansby's going to want to go someplace where he can win. And he's going to have those choices. Uh, like the Dodgers are involved in this talk. Uh, you know, I think the Cubs are involved in the talk. They've struggled in recent years, but I think Dansby, you know, with Nico Horner at, at second and Cody Bellinger in center field, they would take a big step forward in the, in the in the uh, National League Central. Uh, the Twins are competitive. I think they're interested in having him. And of course, he could go back to the Atlanta Braves, and that's the big question about Dansby's negotiation. You know, will he go back to the Braves and say, "Look, if you increase your offer from 100 million to say 120" You know, I'd, I'd be willing to come back. And will the Braves go to an uncomfortable place? Uh, I, I think he's got a lot of choices. And let's face it, you know, you and I have talked about this. When it comes to free agents, Zach Eflin being an example recently, Red Sox right now are not a, a go to destination for a lot of these players who have choices because it's kind of ugly right now.
0: I thought it was really interesting at Kenley Jansen's opening press conference the other day. He ended one of his sound bites with it's all about winning here. And I just kind of furrowed my brow and I'm like, I, I don't yeah. think people see it that way. I get that's the right thing no. for the player to say, but I don't think that's the perception that fans have.
1: No, I would agree with you. Uh, and I do think that Kenley probably took the highest offer on the table, which totally is prerogative. And I don't mean that at all in the criticism of him. And I do think that, you know, what we've seen this in this off season is really given some insight into the internal conversations the Red Sox are having, which is, boy, if we can just fix this bullpen, we'll be a lot better than we were last year. We lost a lot of games, you know, we've blown leads in the late innings, and I know that Alex Cora was talking to the front office about, look, let's get an established closer in place, and then that'll help the structure behind him, you know, that guy. And Kenley is a guy who one day is going to be up for consideration for the Hall of Fame. If he's merely a you know, a, a marginally better closer than what they had last year, that could make a difference of three, four wins to the team. I don't know if I agree with that strategy. I think losing Xander Bogart, losing some of the other hitters, it's a huge concern. I think other teams in the division have gotten a lot better, a lot quicker than what the Red Sox can get better with bullpen improvement. But it, as I mentioned, it does tell us, what the Red Sox front office is thinking.
0: Have we heard anything about J.D. Martinez' interest? I haven't even seen him connected to teams yet.
1: No, uh, and it's very interesting because I've seen some of the salary projections from him You know, where some people think he's going to do well and, and he's going to wind up getting a big deal. I just don't see it, and I love J.D. personally. I've always enjoyed talking with him, but the regression that he had in the second half of last season it raises the sort of questions, as Derek Jeter once said, you know, if you have a down year when you're old, everybody wonders if you're done. And that's kind of what's going on with mm. JD. Um, now, I would say this about JD. My sense of him is that he is a, a guy who's strongly invested in how the team is playing. And if I were an interested executive in him, I'd be exploring the question of all of these Red Sox problems and the, you know, the internal conversation in that Clubhouse about the offer to Bogart the frustration among the players, you know, near the trade deadline, basket out, other guys in, I would be asking the question, how much of an impact did that have on JD? Because I I do think there was some of that going on, not only with him, but with other players, with Bogarts and other players in the team. I thought that that negotiation in spring training, I feel like for the Red Sox became cancerous within that clubhouse.
0: Heim Bloom was a guest on the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast. Last week or early this week, he spoke for, for 15 minutes with Rob Bradford about Bogarts, Devers, et cetera. And my takeaway on Devers is is I'm I'm really worried here. I mean, he said if there's a reasonable deal to be had or if there is even a slightly unreasonable deal to be had, we want to make it. Well, I got news for you. With the way the money is, reasonable came yep. to the bar and left a long time ago. Like, you're going to have to go way above what you want to if you want to keep this player.
1: Now, you, you may remember the specific words in this quote. Andrew Friedman, the, you know, the head of baseball ops for the Dodgers, speaking of free agency, basically said in so many words, look, if you go in looking for a rational contract uh, to negotiate in that way, you're going to finish third. Uh, and that's exactly right. If you are the Red Sox and you want to keep Rafael Devers, you've got to make an uncomfortable deal. You're not going to keep the guy. Just as if you were you you were looking to do a rational deal with Mookie Betts or Xander Bogart, you were going to lose the player. And and you and I have been talking about this for months. Like at some point, you got to step out. And here's the problem for the Red Sox because the leverage is all on the player's side now. Especially given that Devers has made a lot of money in his life already, Uh, he's in a great position to bet on himself. Uh, You know they're going to lose the guy. They're going to lose him. And the conversation will continue going forward unless they're willing to not only pay market value, but to pay the, 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 the tax that's topped on, on top of it for not signing bets and not signing Bogart. And I, it makes you shake your head because you feel like, get out of the bean counting mode and get into the mode of, we need this player, we need to get a deal done, not only because we want to keep this really productive, excellent young player, but we have to change the perception of the franchise. That's what they got to pay for in this Devers negotiation.
0: Completely agree with you. Buster Olney, one of the best as always. Buster with us every Thursday. Buster, have a great week. Next week when we talk, we're going to be coming up on Christmas, so I'll uh, ask you what you're asking Santa for.
1: Okay. That (laughs) sounds great, Brady. I'll do the same.